Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Is any 90s sci-fi movie really complete without a track by Orbital? I mean, really. I love how neither the theatrical trailer nor the music in this movie really allude to the insanity featured within the trans-dimensional headfuck that is Event Horizon. This past weekend, October 21st to the 23rd, was the Dark Arts Festival right here in Portland, Oregon at both Kelly's Olympian and the Fourth Wall PDX, hosted by the Dark Lord himself, Michael Garcia. Major shout out to him, Emma Jonas, Leanne Weedlick, plus all the staff and performers who made the Dark Arts Festival super rad. For this special episode of Science Factual, I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and we're going to go interview heavy because I got to sit down with one of my favorite people in the solar system, Billy Chambers. We got into some deleted footage from the movie before a great interview with a live audience, plus a roundtable discussion about whether or not Event Horizon is science fiction horror or horror science fiction. Oh, and make sure to stick around for the end of the episode, because I have a great set from Billy over at Al's Den in downtown Portland. But before all of that blood-soaked, entrail-laced goodness, you know I have to issue a black hole of a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Event Horizon, you're going to hell. But when you get there, you're going to get great seats to some of the goriest movie scenes 90s sci-fi has to offer. Jealous. I've only seen it on Blu-ray. I'll be doing a synopsis of the film as well as some facts, but I really want to get into some deleted scenes and alternate endings because the true gore, much like the Holy Grail, is perhaps lost forever. Or really is only available in poor quality VHS format. By the way, that's two movies this month so far that we've covered by Paul W.S. Anderson, the other being the installments in the Resident Evil franchise with Jasmine Nothing for episode 48, so go check that out if you're into zombies. In case it's been since 1997 that you've seen this movie, or like me, at an entirely inappropriate age, here's a quick overview of the film before getting into the main story plot. Event Horizon is a 1997 science fiction horror film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and written by Philip Eisner. It stars Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinlan, and Jolie Richardson. Set in 2047, it follows a crew of astronauts sent on a rescue mission after a missing spaceship, the Event Horizon, spontaneously appears in orbit around Neptune. The film had a troubled production, with filming and editing rushed by Paramount Pictures when it became clear that Titanic would not meet its projected release time. The original 130-minute cut of the film was heavily edited by the studio's demand, much to Anderson's consternation. On release, the film was a commercial and critical failure, grossing only $42 million on a $60 million project budget. However, it began to sell well on home video. Its initial DVD release sold so well that Paramount contacted Anderson to begin working on a restoration of the deleted footage, but it had been either lost or destroyed. In the years since, the film has slowly built a cult following and is referenced in other works of popular culture. After Mortal Kombat from 1995 was a commercial success in the United States, English director Paul W.S. Anderson was inundated with screenplay offers as well as the opportunity to direct the Mortal Kombat sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and the X-Men film that was released in 2000. He turned down the offers in favor of making an R-rated horror film wanting to shift away from making another PG-13 film. Paramount Pictures sent him Philip Eisner's original script for Event Horizon, which they had been trying to develop with producers Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levin. According to Eisner, he first pitched the concept to Gordon as a, quote, haunted house story set in space, which the producer thought had potential. Luckily, said Eisner, he liked the idea enough to trust me to do it. Anderson's initial reaction to the script was that it bore a striking resemblance to Alien from 1979. Producer and longtime collaborator Jeremy Bolt felt that it was a terrific concept, but was very dense in terms of length and the storyline was, quote, a bit lost. Anderson didn't want to direct a mimicry of Aliens, so he gave the script a major rewrite. 
He incorporated significant influences of moderately successful horror films such as Robert Wise's The Haunting and Kubrick's The Shining because they created suspense from the unknown, the evil presence was hidden from the viewer, and their endings included ambiguities of perception in the audience. He said he was also interested in the concept of hell and of the ship itself being possessed rather than going, oh, it's an alien consciousness that's doing this, and added these to the script. Screenwriter Philip Eisner acknowledged that Warhammer 40,000 influenced the story. In the setting of Warhammer 40,000, spaceships travel the galaxy by passing through the warp, a parallel dimension where faster-than-light travel is possible, conceptually similar to hyperspace in Star Wars, but which is also inhabited by evil spirits that can infiltrate the ship and possess the crew if said ship isn't properly shielded. Fans consider Event Horizon to be an unofficial prequel to Warhammer 40,000 when humankind discovers the warp and learns of its dangers the hard way. Alright, here's a more detailed breakdown of the cast. We have Lawrence Fishburne as Captain S.J. Miller, commanding officer of the Lewis and Clark. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tommy Lee Jones, and Bruce Willis were all considered for the role of Captain Miller, but I'm sure glad that Lawrence Fishburne got it. We have Sam Neill as Dr. William G. Weir, designer of the Event Horizon. Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, the medical technician of the Lewis and Clark. Jolie Richardson as Lieutenant M.L. Stark, communications and executive officer of the Lewis and Clark. Richard T. Jones as T.F. Cooper, rescue technician. Jack Noseworthy as Ensign F.M. Justin. And Jason Isaacs as DJ. Alright folks, how's about we take a nice little trip through space-time right into Los Angeles. I mean hell, sorry. In 2047, a distress signal is received from the Event Horizon, a starship that disappears during its maiden voyage to Proxima Centauri seven years earlier and has mysteriously reappeared in a decaying orbit around Neptune. The rescue vessel Lewis and Clark is dispatched. Its crew, Captain Miller, second-in-command Lieutenant Stark, Pilot Smith, Medical Technician Peters, Engineer Ensign Justin, Dr. DJ, and Rescue Technician Cooper, is joined by Dr. William Weir, the Event Horizons designer. He briefs them on the ship's experimental gravity drive with a simple visualization of how it folds space-time. The distress signal seems to consist of a series of screams and howls, but DJ believes he can discern the Latin phrase, liberate me, which means save me. Upon boarding the Event Horizon, the crew finds evidence of a massacre. As they search for survivors, the ship's gravity drive activates, briefly pulling Justin into the resulting portal and causing a shockwave that damages the Lewis and Clark, forcing the entire crew to board the Event Horizon. Justin emerges in a catatonic state as a result of what he has seen on the other side of the portal. He attempts suicide by decompression, but is saved by Miller, forcing the crew to place him in stasis. The crew begins seeing people from their past that only they can see hallucinations corresponding to their fears and regrets. Miller sees Korok, a subordinate he was forced to abandon to his death. Peter sees her son, who she left with her ex-husband, with his legs covered in bloody lesions. And Weir sees an eyeless version of his late wife who killed herself, urging him to join her. They discover a video log of the Event Horizon's crew fornicating and mutilating each other shortly after first engaging the gravity drive. The log ends of a shot of the Event Horizon's captain holding out his own eyes gouged from their sockets, speaking the complete Latin phrase from the earlier distress call which DJ translates as Liberate Tutemet Ex Inferis, which means save yourself from hell. Pretty sure I just butchered that. Deciding that the ship's drive opened a gateway to a hellish dimension outside of the known universe and that the Event Horizon has somehow attained sentience, Miller decides to destroy it and orders an evacuation. Peters is lured to her death by a hallucination of her son. Weir, who has gouged out his own eyes and is possessed by the evil presence, uses an explosive device to destroy the Lewis and Clark, killing Smith and blasting Cooper off into space. Weir kills DJ by vivisecting him and corners Stark on the bridge. Miller confronts Weir, who overpowers him and initiates a 10-minute countdown, at the end of which the Event Horizon will return to the other dimension by activating the gravity drive. Cooper, having used his space-deuce oxygen supply to propel himself back to the ship, appears at the bridge window. Weir shoots at him, shattering the window and is blown into space by the ensuing decompression. Miller, Stark, and Cooper survive and manage to seal off the ship's bridge. With their own ship destroyed, Miller plans to split the Event Horizon in two and use its forward section as a lifeboat. He's attacked by manifestations of Korok, which turn out to be the resurrected Dr. Weir. 
Miller fights him off and detonates the explosives, sacrificing himself. The gravity drive activates, pulling the ship's stern section into a black hole. Stark and Cooper enter stasis beside a comatose Justin and wait to be rescued. 72 days later, the wreckage of the event horizon is boarded by a rescue party who discover the remaining crew in stasis. Stark sees Weir posing as one of the rescuers and screams in terror, but she wakes up and realizes that it was just a nightmare. Cooper and the rest of the team comfort the newly awakened and terrified Stark as the bulkheads unexpectedly close. Alright, this is what we've all been waiting for. Let's get into these deleted scenes. And I'm going to post a link to a YouTube video that contains the clips along with insights from Paul W.S. Anderson. Up first, we have the meeting scene between Weir and some people in charge of the mission where they talk about Event Horizon. We also get some more backstory for Justin and Cooper. It was explained that Justin has always been fascinated by the Event Horizon, providing a much stronger explanation for why he enters the black hole when he's finally on board. Cooper's greatest fear was losing someone close to him, which is represented in the film by the unfortunate accident that claims Justin. Deleted backstory that hints to a previous romance between Stark and Miller occurs. Miller finds a ripped-out tooth floating around in Event Horizon, although a version of that scene does make the movie. Uh, more scenes explaining what exactly the gateway to the hellish black hole dimension is, uh, there's a longer version of the scene where Peters hallucinates her son with his legs all mangled, uh, with maggots all over them, and Anderson claimed that the maggot shot was so particularly sickening that it took people too far out of the movie to be effective. After Justin almost died and is in the water tank, Weir has hallucinations where Justin turns into his wife Claire, who comes out and looks at him. The scene was included in the first two test screening versions of the movie, but didn't make the final cut. There's a scene where Weir remembers his wife Claire committing suicide, which was originally longer and far bloodier than her just slitting her wrists in the tub. Now, the infamous blood orgy video was also much longer. Parts which are still in the scene, like the one of the crew members sticking his fingers deep into the other one's eyes, and a female crew member sodomizing a male crew member with an iron pipe, were even more violent in original versions of the scene. There were also a lot more extended shots of the Event Horizon crew naked and covered in blood having violent sex and raping and eating each other, a more graphic version of the scene where a crewman pulls his own intestines out of his mouth, and one crew member is held and stabbed in the back of the head with a spike while part of his mouth and teeth pop out. Another crew member is crawling on the floor while others are hitting his legs with steel bars, smashing them to pieces as he screams and is crawling away, leaving bloody pieces of his own legs behind. One woman has screws drilled into her teeth. Another woman is restrained while one of her arms is broken and torn off with a hunk of metal. One more woman has her breasts mauled and then ripped off and eaten by another crew member, but some other parts of that scene were cut as well. The reason why this scene disturbed the test audience was because the filmmakers, in order to make the scene look more realistic and therefore a lot more violent, hired real-life amputees for special effects scenes where the Event Horizon crew members had their body parts damaged in various ways, and porn actors were hired to make the sex and rape scenes far more graphic. According to producer Jeremy Bolt and director Paul W.S. Anderson, during the screening of a rough cut of the movie, some audience members started fainting while watching this particular scene. There was also more backstory for DJ explaining that the scar on his chest came from childhood surgery that had gone wrong. Since then, his biggest fear is being dissected alive, which comes true in the end. The scene where Miller finds DJ cut open and hanging was longer, and it had more shots of his guts out on the operating table. The scene where the cryo chamber is filling with blood originally had a part where Weir's hand pounds against the glass from the inside and smashes the chamber, letting the blood out. Then, as Cooper is helping Stark to escape, a mutilated and naked Weir is climbing from the ladder upside down behind them. Serious exorcist vibes. Originally in the scene where Miller fights the possessed Weir, there was a part where Weir gives what director Paul Anderson referred to as a, quote, Old Testament speech to Miller and tells him that the dimension of pure chaos is in fact hell. Speaking of hell, the visions of hell sequence during the final fight between Miller and Weir was also much longer and it had more extended shots of the dead Event Horizon crew having been impaled, bisected, disemboweled, and otherwise mutilated, as well as the Lewis and Clark crew members being tortured by the unseen forces, as well as hanging on upside-down crosses. 
Now, there were also three different alternate endings that were filmed. Uh, in the first ending, Miller fights with Weir in the core. This version didn't have the jump scare at the end when the last three survivors are found by another rescue crew and Stark hallucinates that she sees Weir among them. Instead, Stark hears screams of the Event Horizon crew and screams in fear before Cooper wakes her up. This was the original ending of the movie, and it was included in the shooting script. In the second ending, Miller fights with the Burning Man from his visions at the core instead of with Weir, but it was changed because the audience of the second test screening didn't quite like it. This was the original ending. Now, the third ending that was used in the final cut is a combination of the first two endings. Instead of fighting the Burning Man outright, Miller fights with Weir, and the jump scare was included at the very end of the movie. Here are some maggot-infested trivia facts from IMDb about the film which was originally set to be titled The Stars, My Destination. The script originally described the gateway machine as a smooth and featureless black orb, 10 meters in diameter, suspended in midair between large rotating mechanical arms. It was also said to contain a stable black hole with it at all times, as opposed to briefly creating a temporary one. Paul W.S. Anderson decided to redesign it to involve interlocking circles as an homage to the puzzle box in Hellraiser, which served as inspiration. Clive Barker was also consulted heavily during pre-production, and it shows. The visions from Hell and the ship's video log were inspired by works from the 16th century Renaissance painters Hieronymus Bosch and Peter Bruegel, which director Paul W.S. Anderson saw while he was touring art galleries with his production designer. Anderson was fascinated by these paintings as the makers clearly believed in the reality of hell as the complete antithesis of heaven, and the images that they created were terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Anderson said that these scenes were filmed at the end of production with a similar unit, so studio executives probably never bothered to screen them beforehand, thinking they were just insert shots. He said that when the executives saw a screening of a rough edit, they were very shocked, and some in fact fainted, just like test audiences. You can see that the model of the Event Horizon includes a complete X-Wing from Star Wars as part of an antenna array. The model is visible on the lower portion of the Event Horizon during the first flyby of the Lewis and Clark. Sam Neill requested that the Union Jack on an Australian flag patch should be replaced with an Aboriginal flag the way he thought it would look and should look in both 2022 and in 2047. When Dr. Weir opens the blinds in his room during the opening sequence of the film, a whooshing sound effect can be heard. This sound effect is taken from the video game Doom, 1993, and is heard when the player opens a door. The airlock the Lewis and Clark docks at is the very unlucky number in this case, 13, which is shown in Roman numerals. The filming of the gravity drive on fire caused a real fire that partially destroyed the set. A different set had to be built quickly while the old one was being repaired. In the end, the repaired set was only used for an additional day of filming. Among those in the audience in 1997 was Galaxy Quest screenwriter Robert Gordon, who was amused enough by the notion of the meat grinder tunnel that, in response, he created Galaxy Quest's infamous corridor filled with chompers. The scene in which Weir explains how to bend space and time in order to travel huge interstellar distances is paraphrased in Interstellar. Ramilly uses the exact same demonstration to illustrate the theory, folding a piece of paper and pushing a pen through it, just as Weir did as he was explaining the concept to Cooper. Now, there are a bunch of references to Event Horizon in pop culture, so definitely keep your eyes peeled for those hellscapes we all know and love. But for now, it's time to open up a portal to the fourth wall PDX for this awesome interview at the Dark Arts Festival. <laughs> I want some laughs, all right? So what we're going to do, we're going to watch the theatrical trailer, all right? We're going to get into the famous hell scene. Then we're going to get into the famous hell scene slower for more gore and more trauma. And then we're going to get into some deleted scenes before I get into an interview with Billy here. We're going to talk about comedy. We're going to talk about event horizon. So strap in, strap on, whatever you want to do. 
Preferably. <laughs> yeah, both preferably. Indeed. This here is the promo for Science Factual episode 50. That's 50 weeks in a row. <laughs> infinite Billions, Infinite Chambers, which is literally what my dreamscape is like. That's so terrifying. Sorry, honey. My wife, my beautiful wife, Anna, is here as well. Go around and talk to my wife. She forgot me once, so here again. It won't last. No, no, marriage. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. If you were more comfortable, not even. <laughs> All right, let's, on that note, let's pick things off. I was supposed yes, to watch was. this movie a couple nights ago. Oh, that's true. Okay, this is an admission. Billy and I were supposed to, uh, we, we had a date to watch this movie, and I stood him up. He told me that we were not going to be able to do this about 15 minutes before it was supposed to have started. Literally 15 minutes. You acted so I wasn't, I wasn't even in the car. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like, oh my god, there's so much traffic, I can't do this. It was like... Yeah, no, it was just like... A complete dish. Oh, man. Three hours later. Thank you so much for being here. I almost wasn't... <laughs> just because I am petty before a fan of movies, so... So, now that we've gone through all of the clips, uh, folks, we're going to get into the interview portion of this episode of Science Factual. Thank you. I do think I'm going to do a great job answering these questions. Yeah. <laughs> I think you are, too. I won't. <laughs> Can we maintain eye contact throughout this? No. <laughs> no, I don't think that's good for us. Okay. No, that's true. I did. I know you don't respect me that much. Um, oh, no. Hey, I don't respect you at all. Oh, thank you. Uh, Billy, what's your Instagram? Billy does comedy. You sure do. I do. Ben, ben F. Speaking of comedy, how did you get your start on the stand-up? Uh, well, I was nasty on, on the event horizon. Oh. <laughs> Got a glimpse into what life would be like if I couldn't tell jokes. Nice. Uh, no, I wrote a screenplay five years ago, uh, and the protagonist in it was a stand-up comedian. And I uh, had done some joke writing for the Human Rights yeah. Campaign when I worked with them for a while. So when I went, uh, after that kind of played out, and I said all I get to do with it, I... Uh, maybe I'll give it a shot for real. Uh, so a little less than a year ago, I I got started. And I'm glad you did because you are you're blowing up lately. I've seen all over the place. You are super funny. Oh, thank you. You're one of my favorite people. Thank you. You came to visit me three hours in the morning. Yes, I did. During, now, during a job that I hated, just to make me feel better, and I, I thank you for that. Okay, I get, let me. I'm gonna have to dive in there. Uh, Reese worked at a Mr. Peeps, uh, so like I did visit him, but I came to come. Just kidding about that. I promise. Um, I never. Reese can attest. All I ever did there was get juice from that very uh, shaky looking vending machine. <laughs> That's true. I, I cannot attest for the expiration dates on that juice. I but, never. But you're still here to tell the tale. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Billy, what was your first introduction to science fiction? I was an alien kid. Oh, cool. Uh, I love... Alien or Alien? Aliens more, but Alien okay. as well. Okay. Uh, the first movie, my my mom told me once that the first movie I ever asked to watch again was Working Girl. And so I think what actually got me into science fiction was my driven to absolute distraction by Sigourney Weaver in all facets. I hate it, and I'm sorry for straight men in this room. I hate Ghostbusters. It's a piece of shit thing for me. But Sigourney Weaver's arrival to the franchise? I'm in the seat. Check out episode 47 of Science Factual. That's on Ghostbusters with the Crazy Crashly Brothers. You can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else. Thank you so much for that Ghostbusters plug. You don't need my my validation for Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is doing fine without my support. That's so true. R.I.P. Did you like the Melissa McCarthy version? I did, yeah. yeah. I don't believe it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I did. Uh, well, uh, Kate McKinnon was my favorite. Oh, this is great with the best part. Oh, uh, uh, actually, okay. you know what? The best scene in that movie was when Cecily Strong is watching Kristen Wiig trying to get into that cafe, and she's thinking, like, she's trying to open the window, and she's like, oh no, she thinks that's a door. 
Oh no, she fits all those indoors. That's not good. She's a scientist. Classic Kristen Wiig. What about Event Horizon? When did you when did you first come across? You said you saw it when you were thirteen. I saw. Well, I I think I was probably like eleven, eleven to thirteen, somewhere okay. there. And right, right in the sweet spot for. You know, lay, laying down the trauma in one psyche. I had an uncle who really, not, it's not going to go that way, uh, who, uh, <laughs> who just, like, really didn't like talking to me. So anytime he was tasked with being, like, in charge of us hanging out, uh, he just took us to go see whatever movie he wanted to. Movie so, yeah, uh, yeah, that's how I saw Eyes Wide Shut when I was a child. And, um, All right. Mine was Porky's. My inappropriate movie was Porky's. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, what, what's so cool about that is that Kubrick was such a shapeshifter. He was like, <laughs> it's so movies. true, yeah. Uh, no. Um, what a dynamic director. But yeah, my, my uncle brought me to go see Event Horizon before he and his friends played D&D. Um, and I didn't go with any expectations because I didn't know what, what was going on. Uh, but I do remember being horrifically scarred by the movie. Yeah. Uh, he told me we were going to go see an action movie about space. And my experience with that was hopefully I'll get another scene where Ben Affleck's jawline is just resting on a very average looking girl. And that made me feel like I had a shot. Was that a, was that a deep cut Armageddon reference? That was a deep cut chasing Amy. No, oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't Armageddon. <laughs> Based on the theatrical trailer, though, your uncle was not incorrect. My uncle has never been right about anything, so okay. I, I wasn't banking on it. He didn't tell me what we were up to. I was never like, hey, we're going to go to the movies, Chad. It was get in a car. And that's it. So I just showed up and was happy not to pay. But no, uh, yeah, I, I cried, I believe, a little bit. So maybe I was younger, or just gay and in the closet. Um, so yeah, he will know. Yes. <laughs> I was rooting for him to win. I didn't care. He, he switched sides, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> that shit looks sturdy. Let's let it go. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Event Horizon is a badass ship. It's, it's a cool-looking ship. Oh, yeah. It's got like a kind of a steampunk vibe going on. I think the thing that really impressed me about Event Horizon was, one, that director, and I'm sorry if I'm ruffling feathers here, that man has directed exactly one good movie, in my opinion, and it is this one. I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, I mean, Paul W. Sanderson directed Mortal Kombat. Okay. Do you, do you, do you want to keep going? I do. In <laughs> every Resident Evil movie. Okay, nice. That is Paul Thomas Anderson's movie next to Important distinction. Oh, that's so true. Uh, uh, Rudolph was married to one of those men, and the other is a piece of shit. No, I just, I get it. He has a vibe, he has an aesthetic. Everything he's done is very, very targeted toward a specific thing. And it, it, whether it be Sega Genesis era video games or a little bit later on in video games. You, you this got, movie. You gotta like new metal. I don't. If you, <laughs> if you like, no, 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 you don't have to keep explaining. If you like your one well. rule, I am not going to follow at any point in my life. So it's not for me. So I'll just go on with what I've said about Event Horizon. Uh, <laughs> it's an original concept idea. It isn't. It isn't based on anything else. It isn't serving That's a fandom. True. That's true. It is a, a, a unique little nightmare. And I think I, I would call it uh, in the vein of a certain like niche of movie. Uh, the only other one that comes to mind immediately is The Cell with Jennifer Lopez and Vince oh, yeah. yeah, It yeah. has like that same makeup to it where it's like Cube. Oh, yeah, Cube, Cube yeah. Hellraiser uh, yeah, Elvis sure. too. It's got like that hopelessness mm. to it where it's like it is so dire. Everything is so bleak that all you can do is appreciate the nuance to the nightmare. And it really and if you could do that, and if you, you know, if the attention to detail in this movie, and honestly, the punch of the script, it's a well-written movie. The dialogue isn't as clunky as most in this vein, in this genre. Sure. It's got bigger ideas in mind, but it never stops having the top priority being to not so much make you jump scared, but to instill that like feeling of utter dread. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the hell dimension that they experience in Event Horizon really plays on their individual fears, which is super interesting. So, getting into Event Horizon in and of itself, if the events of the film take place in 2047, do you think in 25 years, because that's pretty near future, 
Do you think we're going to have some Einstein Rosen bridge based? I think I'm going to be dead for 12 years, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Solid call. I think we may have always been dead by 12 years at that point. I fly Southwest. I'm not going to space out there. <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't fly Virgin? Oh, no, not for a while. <laughs> you have to talk to my about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite character? Star. Star. Yeah, Jolie Richardson's character. I like her because if you... Now, I'm not... When I say it's a, a better-than-expected movie uh, in the genre, I do stand by that. However, all the very, very smart masters and further educated people on the spaceship make dumb fucking choices all the time when they're not actively trapped in hell, then it's like, well, you could have probably avoided it, you know? Sure. Uh, except her. She's sharp. She doesn't get distracted with fighting with everyone because there's some catty little fights between the crew. Not from her. Uh, and, uh, yeah, ultimately, like, she's the person who's best at doing their job in the movie. And least affected. I mean, it, it's almost until the end, like, when they get rescued, if, you know, after the yeah. portion of Event Horizon gets jettisoned, they get rescued, and it's not until then that she has the initial, real, tailored hallucination. It's like, she encounters the blood, right. tank, yeah. and all these other factors, but really, yeah, keeps her cool. Like, what is the name of the other, uh, so Kathleen Quinlan's character, I'm not sure what Peters? it is. Peters? Peters? I think it's Peters. Okay. Uh, her death scene. Yeah. Her hell scene. Yes. Easily the standout scene of the entire movie for me. Like what with I, her son? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she uh, falls down a shaft and she obviously It's a pretty it. standard trope in horror to use the female lead. Like, it almost always the motivation of that character is triggered by either some kind of childless, had child, lost child, yeah. inability to create child, which I have wanted. I think it was, it was sick child. It was, it was sick child. However. She is not the protagonist in this movie. She's actually probably like fourth or fifth in the line. Yeah. But her scene with that, easily the most emotionally resonant scene. If you had to ask me what happens at that horizon, I start there and I work my way back and forth. Okay. Uh, because that, I think... Is the it's, most reasonable or like relatable yeah. middle ground hell kind of thing. Like. Yeah, and I think it was one of the most, I mean, the movie doesn't try to be something like, it, it's not, it never tries to be like a humane drama. No, but no. Having certain traces of like, having that scene with, with that person reminding people that hell means a different thing to a lot of different people, that's probably the most relatable version of what hell is somebody who is passionate about a career but also has a family they care about. Like, that made it the most personal touch of the movie, I thought. I thought it was just incredibly well acted by Kathleen Quinlan. Don't understand why she signed up for this movie. I mean, in hindsight, I get it, but like, on paper, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be like, eh, you know, it's just not maybe for an Oscar for Apollo 13. I'll move on to Event Horizon. You, you gotta round out the... Do you think it was because out. they shot both in outer space and she was like, well, I'm already here. She was like, <laughs> they were like, they were like hey, you bring kind of someone over? Uh, yeah. Uh, what about your favorite death or kill? I mean, the most satisfying is when Lawrence Fishburne, well, presumably takes out uh, the big bad at the end. Right. Sucks that he does it with himself. Also, it's the same thing that happened. Ah, Armageddon, same movie. It's just the rock is Samuel. Anyway, uh, yeah, I guess probably that They, I'll be honest, the deaths don't, while they are effective and visceral, uh, they don't stand out. Uh, the gore of them all is, I think, a little much. But, so do you think like the hell scene or just like the, the blood orgy scenes, like those really stand out more so than the individual deaths in the movie? No, I would okay. I, I I think what stands out in the movie is the what lingered for me is the psychological aspect of it. I think that it is did you come into the foreground to shame my opinion, <laughs> <Yeah>. sir? <laughs> oh, noted. Move. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> But no, I think that's that's what stuck around for me. Because okay. I am not a gore aficionado, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, gore's not for everybody. I, li- I liked it. It was effective. It scared me. I was a child. Uh, but I went back for it because I thought, like, you're already in a scary situation. You're in space. That has to be vulnerable for anybody. That's, that's crazy. To even think of that, I'm already at a 10, you know? And so all of these people have to face the most terrifying situations they can imagine while already in the most terrifying situation most people can imagine. 
Yeah, being trapped in space is, is my top, is in like top five. It's like, like I would never want to be in that. Yeah. yeah, and then a hellscape on top of me for sure. Uh, I would say for like DJ is my favorite kill, the disembowelment oh, in, in yeah. the culture. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the gnarliest kill outside of Justin, who gets you know, semi decompressed. Um, but it, it's, you know, Event Horizon is, if you ever need a, a gore satisfier, definitely watch this movie. I think definitely watch this movie if you ever, if you're a gore person who feels like you're left. Like like it's uh, like you're seeing too many things that are same same because at least I think the thing that lasts uh, impression wise for Event Horizon is that scarier aspects of this movie are not the violence in it. It is the psychological toll that it takes on the crew to to confront what they have to. The people who do survive. I mean, you can imagine it can't be much of like a high quality like to see like your fears realized in front of you and then to still lose because the yeah. lengths that the people who die in this movie go to survive and then don't make it are insane. Yeah. So each Very death cool. is super impactful in it because it's like, wow, yeah. you were so close. So close. Yeah. Well, no one can escape hell. Can we get a hail Satan from the room? Billy, what's coming up next in your comedy schedule? A fist fight in the parking lot with Ryan Danley. Oh my god! It's important to shine out everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> this is Ryan's event horizon. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Tukis on Tuesday. Maybe Tukis. I guess so. Uh, Crashly Brothers. Crashly Crashly's and Ghostbusters fame. Tell us a little bit about who's on top. Oh, uh, I. Is it this time? Uh, <laughs> if you ever show up, um, <laughs> Tan, my roommate, uh, and uh, a fellow Portland comedian, Tan Storm, and I have a podcast called Who's the Top, and. Uh, we release every Tuesday morning, and uh, we just uh, released our first episode with a guest. It was uh, Tori Ward, and then uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Favorite, 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 favorite joke teller. Uh, and then uh, this week we will be recording with uh, Jake Silverman. So awesome, fun to you. He was on episode 17 of Science Factual for Watchmen. And I'll be talking with. Gene DeWeber, who's coming up on the podcast schedule here at Dark Arts about Doomsday Clock. We're going to be talking about Doomsday Clock on OCD. That's going to be well, that's funny because my friend, the comedian Emma Jonas, is sitting behind me. And yes. right after this, we're going to have a conversation about terms of endearment. So, uh, <laughs> super relatable. Yeah, goriest movie with Shirley MacLaine ever. Super gory. Well, Billy, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thank you, uh, thank you everybody here for joining us and watching the Van Rosen. After we wrapped up the show, a few of us gathered outside to determine whether or not Event Horizon is considered science fiction horror or horror science fiction. What do you think? I don't think that science fiction as a structure is necessarily a thing. I think that the structure is a very horror structure because horror as a genre has bones. Science fiction is a thing that really does well at blending with other things. And I don't know that there is a set of bones. I mean, if you look at, like, the range of, like, Arthur C. Clarke through to, like, the original series of Star Trek, that is science fiction while being nothing but science fiction. For the most part, science fiction, it, like, it doesn't have, like, a, a set a set set of things. I highly disagree. Science fiction relies on pseudoscience in order for it to be a science fiction property that was that's 100 what this was i agree okay so this is this is the question all right we're going to do a round table answers is event horizon science fiction horror or is it horror science fiction ryan danley go oh it is horror science fiction as it is a horror movie first using the plot device of a outer space thing to open up the hell realm it is a classic horror trope as in they are stuck someplace that is filled with uh, hell my opinion, horror will always be the battle between good and evil, and uh, and a persistent evil at that. Okay. Um, so the, I will say that it is horror first, set in a science fiction world. Okay, Brandon Way Little. 
Yeah, Brandon Wayne Little, episode 35. That's right. I say... Uh, the running man. That's how I, I introduce myself to people. It's <laughs> episode 35 of Reese's Podcast. Uh, I, <laughs> should be. <laughs> no, I say it's sci-fi that goes into horror. It's a sci-fi movie that becomes a horror film. Okay. It changes genre. A sci-fi movie that doesn't go into horror? Back to the Future? Cocoon? That was quick. Okay. No lens. From the book report, that's how I introduced No, absolutely. No, I mean, like, it's set on a spaceship. There is not a shot in the entire film that is not obviously science fiction. That's my take, and that's yeah. right. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that because there is a Jason movie set on a space station. Oh, so Based on yes. a true story. Yeah, and so, so I'm going to have to agree. Sam Neill. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with uh, Ryan on this one that. Okay. If you start with the aspect of trapped in a place, there's tension, and science fiction is just set dressing. Okay. Well, we have Jasmine Nothing with us as well. Jasmine Nothing, have you seen Event Horizon? Not for very many years, but okay. I'm going to agree with Brian. Okay. <laughs> Solid. Answer. Brian Solid answer. Solid answer. Solid answer. Billy Chambers. Uh, science fiction horror or horror science fiction? I'm going to also uh, uh, allow everyone to have agreed with me by way of Ryan. I said okay. it first. Uh, no, Event Horizon is absolutely a horror movie. It, it does not get bogged down by its science fiction elements. Uh, right. The science fiction part of that movie is incidental. It has almost nothing. It is a vehicle. It is, it is the cracker that you put ketchup on. It is nothing <laughs> but that bit. Salem, um, Oregon, coming through with the cracker with ketchup. I do think it, it really is just a way to make the idea of nightmare hell as a trapped eternity seem more realistic, if anything else, because it's like, okay, you don't know space, we're going to take you out to it because you can't prove that out there there's not another dimension that's just hell. So Fair enough. No. Emma Jonas... Let's let's bring it on home. Are, are we talking sci-fi horror or horror sci-fi when it comes to Event Horizon? It's a lot of pressure. Um, I think I'm going to have to go horror sci-fi, because if okay. I think of horror movies that I like, Event Horizon eventually is going to come up. Okay. Uh, so let, let's get a raise of hands I, I, then. Well, because well, we, we've can, got I, to... can I make one more point before we move forward? <laughs> Please make one more point. I'd love to make one, yeah. So we, we don't know, know what you mean. What I agree so with. I, yes. think, I think if you wanted to compare it to, I would say the other likely... Horror, I would say a sci-fi horror movie mm -hmm. would be the thing mm. because you, if you remove the sci-fi from it, it's not the movie. Where if you remove the sci-fi, you could still have a very realistic movie. I mean, I yeah. disagree because the thing relies on the science fiction element to move the plot of it forward, but. Event Horizon doesn't. Once they're in space, they're there. The, the, the events that take place, they're just psychological reflections of the, what already exists in these people's brain. Nothing that they die by is impossible. I'm just saying the thing is a sci-fi movie because the entire plot is based around a science fiction creature. I love the thing. It's one of my favorite. Movies. I love the thing as well. But, but I but I believe that it is more of a sci-fi horror and an Events Horizon because the the results are yeah I agree like the the creature is science fiction. I felt the, the cell with Jennifer Lopez and Vincent D'Onofrio. That's the same like the right. same lineage of Event Horizon where it's like once she gets into his head yeah all of that like creepiness. That's realistic in the sense that it could happen in the mind of a serial killer. Mm. And, and that, and that, I love that uh, on VHS. I love that. I actually, have, I, 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 I want to get that actor on my. Uh, let's get a final no, vote. Let's, let's get a show of hands. There's uh, two, four, six. There's eight of us. All right. How many people feel that Event Horizon is a horror sci-fi film? Did you hear that? Got five. Did you hear those hands? Got five. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm yeah. careful the odd man out. I've heard all the arguments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm yeah. saying a contrarian. Yeah. Yeah. Contrarian is insane. Yeah. 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 Well, I love a good contrarian. My guy who writes very well. It's, it's a, I'm going to go with a relatively split decision. I'll leave it up to you, the listener, <laughs> I mean, to check out what you think America about Event Horizon. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> we're in America. We're a democracy. It's a win for horror, but it's fine.
Oh, I can hardly wait for next year's Dark Arts Festival. Although Satan is always with us, watching out for our best interests from the fiery depths below. Hail Satan! Next week wraps up Spooky Month, unfortunately, which should really be two months, taking over November as well. It would be so awesome to have a giant spooky feast instead of celebrating colonizers who be colonizing. But to wrap up the month, we have the very funny Seth Allen joining us to talk about everyone's favorite mischievous malevolence, Gremlins. Seth and I met up before the comedy open mic at my father's place in southeast Portland for some hot takes on what does in fact end up being a science fiction franchise. You can catch that episode dropping on Halloween, that's October 31st in case you weren't sure, on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But if you were super cool, you'd also catch it on Shady Pines Radio from 8 to 9 a.m. Tuesday, November 1st. Folks, Science Factual is a weekly show, and being that the next episode is number 51, that means for basically the past year I've had the pleasure of interviewing dozens of comedians from the Portland area and the Pacific Northwest, and as a look back, I'll be having a Season 1 recap show taking place November 3rd, starting at 6.30pm at Growler's Taproom on Southeast 82nd, with the first five and top five most listened to guests throughout Season 1. Joining me will be Dan Weber... Chris Hudson, Julia Corral, Jamie Carbone, Noah Linsk, Josh Trio, Juan Denmark, Hunter Austin, and Andrea Menchaca for a roundtable-style discussion about all things science fiction. I'm looking forward to recapping this rollercoaster of a year with some of the funniest people Portland and beyond has to offer. In the meantime, here's a clip of Billy crushing over at Al's Den. Great weekly shows there on Friday and Saturday nights, so make sure you check that out, located conveniently in downtown Portland. Enjoy! Hi, Al's Dan, how are you guys? after I came out, gay men will do a lot to suck a dick. You know what they don't do to find out if that's the dick they want to suck? Crouch. <laughs> no no super hot 6'2 hottie is, is leaving at last call just being like, well, one more sweet. <laughs> Sorry about your daughter asking about sex. I guess that's hard too. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, obviously, you know, I don't have any kids. Although, let me guarantee you, I am having sex like I'm trying to get pregnant. <laughs> We're just hoping for a miracle. <laughs> in that is that I am both an insufferable gay guy and kind of a misogynist. Oh, man. Uh, it's always who you least expect, I hear. <laughs> I didn't listen too closely when they said it because it was a girl. I promise I have no respect for men whatsoever. <laughs> so it's not bad, including myself. You should know that just by like stuff I've talked about already. Um, this is my first night as a Portland resident. Uh, literally today with a big thank you. Thank you. I hope I look like somebody who does not know what Walmart's generic brand is called. <laughs> I feel like that's the litmus for Portlanders on this flight. Do they know it's great value? <laughs> Where Betty doesn't recycle. Um, <laughs> Betty doesn't even know where his cardigan was made. Uh, <laughs> I moved here from Salem. Um, yep, that's about the response. <laughs> One person laughing. Uh, 
not upset that Morgan, don't get me wrong, not a punchline, just my life, but <laughs> that's about what happens. <laughs> Our most important political policy in Oregon is porn, and also a one-laugher. Yeah, it's tough, but I, before I, I got up here, I, I, a comic asked me um, why I left Salem, and I said, well, just because it's like, um, allowed to be gay in Portland, uh, which is what I think is going to be a real nice change of pace. Um, <laughs> and he said, how, well, how, why, why, how do they talk to you in Salem? You know, what's so bad about it? And I said, uh, they kind of just like talk to me like they're sorry. Like, uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's nice. I'm sure you're very creative. Uh, <laughs> do you come from money? I hear that helps. I don't know. Is there a, do you have like a hotline we can donate to monthly? <laughs> I am uh, also the, the failed spearheader of Salem's Adopt a Gay program. <laughs> don't get me wrong, there were a lot of takers, but we never saw them again. Um, so. Takers is what we call bottoms in Salem. Uh, <laughs> so I think I brought it up, but I'm a gay. Uh, I say I'm a gay and not just I'm gay because I do comedy in Salem and surrounding areas a bunch, and I think that's how they talk about me when I leave the room. I think a lot of men named Spencer uh, go home to their wives and say, Hey, there's a guy on stage tonight. He's a gay. <laughs> Pretty funny, though. Told jokes like a normal. <laughs> I like to make uh, real intense eye contact with somebody who gets on. Yeah, you know where I have to go. <laughs> with somebody who gets. Is this gonna. Is this gonna make noise? No. Was somebody who gets uncomfortable when I say that part? Oh man, I saw this guy in the bathroom earlier too. <laughs> Hell yeah, this is exactly where I hope this never goes. No. Uh, okay, but I did think hot. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I like to walk up to that person. I like to say, does that joke make you feel a little uncomfortable? Is it? Is it because it's your first time seeing one of us in the wild? <laughs> Are you a little scared? <laughs> Did you bring a little bag of peanuts to feed us through the car window? <laughs> I worry about shitting on dicks a lot. Anybody else? <laughs> But not yes, uh, which statistically and geographically speaking, more of us should be, guys. Uh, be a grown up and polite, you know? I'm 34 years old. I've been having sex for longer than most of the lifespan of true crime podcast victims. Uh, I know what I'm about, you know? I've never been in a room with an enema and thought, what's that? <laughs> I've never had Chipotle for lunch and been in the mood for poppers for dinner, but... <laughs> That's the dirt. Uh, I don't want to burst your butthole on this one, but... Uh, <laughs> it happens. Santa Claus, not real. The tooth fairy is your dad. You know, sometimes shit gets on your dick if you put your dick where you want to put it. <laughs> no one gets to stay in the Neverland forever, Peter Pan. Uh, <laughs> Time to grow up. I told that joke to a bunch of 10 year olds in Eugene and cried. I changed shitting to pooping and pee pee, or dicks to pee pee. So I said, I worry about shit or pooping out pee pee. Didn't make it better. It was a big surprise. I stopped in the middle though because I couldn't tell those 10 year olds that Santa Claus wasn't real. And as somebody who always assumed they'd be uh, a woman who had abortions for fun, it's more than I ever knew I cared about kids. <laughs> Guys, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. Hey, 
Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corbidae. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Hey, baby, this is the Teenage Wolf Man back from the grave to call the moon by its original name. That's right, it's getting spooky-ooky in the pines. This October 29th, the freaks are coming out one way or the other. On Saturday night from 8 o'clock on the melting dot till the moon bleeds out bright red all over your big maskless heads we got live but soon to be dead bands bands like johnny spanko bands like the super sinister band and bands like the family ghost and center where your grandma's spirit dances naked on the tabletop and your grandpa drools and watches. So come on out to the factor building at 226 Southeast Madison right here in Portland, Oregon. I'll be slapping monster tracks for that hairy ass and those elfin ears. Don't fear the reaper, baby. Come get down by the graveside. That Saturday, October 29th, in the spooky pines, where it's all with your nasty head. You can get your tickets online right now and get entered into our death raffle. If you win, you don't die, but you do get some cool, shady stuff. So get your tickets to the graveside, get down, come get down with us nuts. Gotta give a big shout out to Rational Unicorn Legal Services for sponsoring this spooky event. We'll see you this Saturday with or without a mask. Hey, I'm Brian. And I'm Callie. And we're asking for your support in launching our dream, Shady Pines Radio. A 24-7 community radio station and sonic playground. By joining our Patreon, you'll get a bunch of awesome perks. And you'll help keep Shady Pines Radio alive and growing. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash shadypinesradio. Here are just a few of the voices on Shady Pines Radio. Hey guys, I'm Mika Elishanks. 
And this is Curtis Copenhagen. Curtis Copenhagen here. I'm Moonlit Britt. Hey, this is Stephen Hamilton. I'm Poor Boy. It's Jackie B at your controls. This is Aim with the Smoke Break. Hi, I'm DJ Chip. I'm Camille Rose. And I'm Ashley Elizabeth. I'm Callie. And I'm Brian. I'm Mac. And I'm Oscar. Hey, this is Speedy Boogie. Tay Robin. Mark Sangeloni. Bob Sturry. And Louise Sturry. Jeffrey Swiss. I'm Zachary. Hey, this is Greg. This is Dan. James Kemp here. Alex Toast. And that is DJ Fish. Featuring the music of folks of color, women, LGBTQ. We talk about the highs and the lows of society. We have a drink. We go on an adventure. Playing your songs. Local independent artists. Summer jams and good vibes. Demos, deep cuts. Strictly reggae, robot dub. Folk punk, psych rock. Spirit guides, crystals. Math rock, hip hop. Rock and roll music. A little mediocre banter in between. Sports radio talk show. It's a show where we get to know each other a little bit better, five minutes at a time. It's a new take on the old time variety show. It's groovy. It's groovy. Uh, it's, groovy. It's, it's the music. It's, it's groovy. Come have a listen on Shady Pines Radio. Shady Pines Radio. Shady Pines Radio. Help us keep this boat afloat at patreon.com slash shadypinesradio.